Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. All right, well, let's go to the Word this morning. I want to talk to us about Jesus' praying Jesus is praying. Let me, let me ask you this. If you could listen in to Jesus praying for you, a prayer for you, what would he say? What would you hear? What would Jesus pray for you? What would he mention in that prayer? What would he talk about? I'm curious about this this morning and how we believe Jesus would pray for us because that's what our passage is about today. I confess I approach this passage with um, a measure of fear and trepidation that's probably a notch or two at least above uh, most other passages because of the gravity of this chapter of Scripture. But I do believe that the Lord wants to say some amazing, powerful truths to us today. And I want us to take just a moment. It's not a long chapter, but I want to read the chapter in its entirety and give us a context for listening to the Lord Jesus pray for us today. John chapter 17. I'll begin reading in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them and have not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word 
and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. You know, what we pray for others likely says more about what we believe and how we think about them than what we actually say to them. Does it not? I mean, when you got a moment and you got God's ear and you're going to talk to God about someone, it's just going to get raucously honest in that moment, will it not? When you're speaking to someone, you're kind of sizing up the moment and sizing up how they are in the moment and you want to make sure that whatever you say fits that moment right. And so it might condition or filter, well, some people don't have that part of it, but it might condition what you say a little more, right? And so I I propose that what we say when we pray likely says more about what we believe and what we think about a person than even what we would say to them. And with that in mind, I wonder how many believe that if Jesus prayed for you, He would talk more about your wrongs, more about your weaknesses and your shortcomings, about your sin and your shame than anything else. And while I'm not interested in anyone giving an outward sign to answer this question, I wonder if when I first asked you about Jesus praying for you, your first thought was, well, he would would remind God of all the wrong things I've done. He'd remind God of that week I've had this week or that month I've had, the season of life that I seem to be finding myself in or all of my weaknesses, my shortcomings, my sin, the guilt that I feel. He'd talk about that, I'm pretty sure. And yet, friends, we don't have to wonder what Jesus might pray for us because Jesus did pray for us as Christians. We have his words. And I'm gonna tell you what, 
Here's a lesson we can learn that's really a sidebar. I'm already chasing rabbits, not five minutes in. Jesus isn't consumed with your sin the way you are because he's already taken care of it. If you'll believe in him and trust in him, then your sin will only be a point of repentance and not be a consuming content of all your praying. And Jesus is going to teach us this today. Jesus completes his teaching to the disciples and then he prays for them. From this point on in the Gospel of John, Jesus will no longer speak directly to his disciples except for after his resurrection just before his ascension. He's done with his earthly teaching. And at the completion of his teaching, he prays. He doesn't pray for the whole world. He's praying specifically for his followers, his disciples. And with that in mind, we see that Jesus' eye remains on his disciples and his heart remains for the whole world. So we don't have to guess or to wonder what Jesus would pray for for us because he has prayed for us. Here's what I want you to see today, that Jesus prays for Christ followers to live in God's true salvation of life for the glory of his name in the world. You know, one of the reasons this chapter of scripture is so difficult is there's probably no less than about 10 or 12 major doctrines that are covered or touched upon in this, in this chapter, major doctrines. And, and so when you approach this, you go, well, do I preach that? Do I preach that? And, and, and I think as I prayed through it and was considering, I thought, Lord, I, I want to preach. I just want to preach the simplicity of your prayer to encourage and to equip us. And, and while there are many different ways this chapter could be approached, I'm hoping that today the way that we run at this chapter to consider it and to study it is not only an encouragement for us, but a help in the sense that we understand how God thinks about us and how Jesus is praying for us. I want to present to you this morning five desires that Jesus offers to the Father for you. Five desires that Jesus prays for you. The first desire that we see in this passage of Scripture is that Jesus desires for you to know that true salvation rests in God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. True salvation rests in God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. This prayer is basically broken into three sections. The first eight verses are a prayer specifically for Jesus to be glorified and for the Father to be glorified through his work. The second third of the prayer is broken into specifically, beginning in verse 9, uh, Jesus identifies who explicitly he's praying for. He's praying for his followers, his disciples. And then the last third of the chapter is broken into Jesus praying for those who will hear the message of the gospel through his disciples and come to be his disciples in that. And so the first portion of this prayer is Jesus praying for the effectual work that he is about to enter into in his sacrifice. He begins his prayer with what I would call a tunnel vision focus on his crucifixion. You know, 
uh, uh, research tells us that when the adrenaline begins to pump, specifically if we are scared or if we're focused or, or if we come to where we have a reaction where adrenaline kind of shoots in, we actually begin to lose peripheral vision because we are strengthened in what is immediately in front of us. It grants to us a focus in order to uh, respond more quickly and accurately in the things that we are doing. And so we can become very um, blinded to the things of the periphery because we are dialed into the things that are priority. And that's very much the way that Jesus is living at this point as he begins to dial in on his crucifixion and what he is doing on the earth. For he prays that his death would be glorified by the Father for all to see God's love. That's what he wants to see. Lord, glorify me. He's not self-promoting here. He's not trying to build his platform. He's just saying, Lord, I want people to see what you are bringing me here to do that they might understand your love. And I pray that the Father, you would be glorified for the full effectiveness of what I'm doing that you might be able then to freely forgive because of the sacrifice that is offered. You see, the hour that John references here, that hour for which Jesus lived, is the moment he would lay down his life and die on the cross to satisfy the Father and to save sinners. In one sacrifice, both would be fully accomplished. And glory is one of the central themes of Jesus' prayer throughout, that, that his work might be glorified, that he might be glorified, not personally, but the work that he was doing, that it might be exalted in such a way that people would recognize what's taking place, and that through that work, the Father himself would be glorified. You see, Jesus wanted the instrument of glory, his own life offered up in sacrifice for sinners to be exalted so the Father would receive the praise. That's how he taught us to pray in the Sermon on the Mount, is it not? But when you pray, when you do your acts of good service, do them in such a way not that you get noticed, but that the Father gets noticed because of what you have done, because of what you have said. He's not seeking self-glory or self-promotion, but he's seeking to honor the Father by his sacrifice. You see, God the Father is glorified above all through Jesus' obedience. And friends, this is the gospel of God's grace. It is the good news of salvation for sinners in Jesus. And it is the good news of hope for all who will believe in him. Jesus prays that his sacrifice will be exalted to bring eternal life to all who believe in him for people to know God. Man, I mean, if you ever want to know the heart of God, you don't have to question what it might be. It's stated from the mouth of God right here. Jesus desires that, that people would know that true salvation rests in God's grace through faith in him and the finished work that he has done on this earth. Friends, to understand Jesus' first desire, I want to give you three exhortations. And the first one is this. Be clear. 
crystal clear that salvation comes only by God's grace through Jesus when you believe in him. Not when you tolerate or accept what he says, but when you believe in him. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Be clear, salvation only comes by God's grace through Jesus when you believe in him. The second exhortation I would give you to this first desire of Jesus is to be certain. Be certain. Emotional stirring or intellectual adherence that produces a half-hearted commitment of lukewarm Christianity living may convince you and everyone around you that you're a Christian, but it is not salvation with God. Be clear and be certain, friends. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Be clear. Be certain. Be sure. Everyone who believes on the name of Jesus will be saved. John begins his gospel writing in verse 12. But to all, he says, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And Paul echoes this in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Understand, wherever you are today, if it is the inkling desire of your heart to know God, there is nothing that can stand in your way if you will believe in him. Friends, Jesus died not so you could question, wonder, or speculate about true salvation. And Jesus prayed not to list your every sin, your every mistake, or your every weakness. For all the Father gave to Jesus have eternal life because they have kept your word, Jesus says. They are God's, they are yours, and you have given them to me, and not one that you've given to me have I lost. Jesus prayed to be clear, to be certain, and to be sure that all who believe in him receive eternal life by God's grace. Jesus' first desire for you today, friends, is to know this, that true salvation rests in God's grace alone through faith in him alone. The second desire that Jesus prays for is for you to know that true salvation brings faithfulness and oneness, joy and enduring strength. Jesus says, I'm leaving the world and he leaves his followers, but he does not leave them without. For he says this, I have manifested God's name in the world to reveal to the believers who is their source and their strength of life. You see, Jesus is the Christian source for all of life in this world. And that's what he has taught. That's what he has revealed for them. And so now he is praying for the faithfulness and the oneness or the unity of believers in his name. 
He manifested God's name. In other words, that word manifest just said he, he gave it flesh. He showed them what it looked like. He manifested God's name to show them that God is faithful. And though he left, he didn't leave the disciples alone because God's word, which they have received, is with them and he is faithful to them. You see, because Jesus perfectly obeyed the Father, believers can walk in obedience to his commands. Our obedience is not of our own doing. It's not accomplished by our own doing. It is accomplished by Jesus' doneness. And because Christ has done for us, we are empowered to go and to do in his name. We have, Christians, all we need to walk in faithfulness in his word by the strength of his presence, by his spirit. And when we walk in faithfulness, we live in oneness with God. That's what Jesus modeled for us, but more important than just modeling it for us, he accomplished it for us. You see, before Jesus is ever your moral example, which he is, and he's a big one and he's a high one, there's no doubt about that. Before he's ever your moral example, he is your savior. And without him, whatever morality you offer is incomplete. But in him, it is never incomplete. Because you don't live it out of your own strength, you live it by faith in him. Faithfulness to Jesus' word is the Christian source of strength, and it is our point of unity, even in the body of Christ. Friends, you see, Jesus prayed, Father, may they be one as we are one. When we come by faith into Jesus Christ, we enter into a oneness with God, just as Christ had oneness with God. We have the same unity with the Father as we walk in Jesus' name. Because of what he has done for us, God sources the Christian life by the word he has given to us and by the spirit he has put within us to live in faithfulness and in unity, not only with him, but with one another, with one another. You see, Christians can know that we're walking in faithfulness to Jesus in this way, when we're less concerned about every opinion on each issue and we're focused on making sure that we all have the same opinion as Jesus, the mind of humble obedience. For unity in the body comes when each of us focus on taking Jesus' opinion as our own, Jesus' mind as our own. Faithfulness and unity in the body is a first priority for Jesus. That's what he prays for each of us, for all of us. Jesus also prays that Christians will know not only faithfulness and oneness, but through that joy and enduring strength. Friends, joy and strength in Jesus always follow faithfulness and unity for a reason. Until you walk in faithfulness and unity, joy and strength will only remain as a promise yet unfulfilled. But when we walk by faith and obedience to Jesus with one another, we're filled with his joy. And friends, the word is full of the supply that his joy brings to us. Joy fills our life when the one who gives joy reigns in us. The Bible tells us that Jesus' joy in our life is our strength to endure and that it cannot be taken away. 
And friends, we see that with the, the life of Jesus himself. For Jesus is our generous, or excuse me, Jesus is the, the one who is generous with, with what I would call joy over life. The, the, uh, like a covering or, or, or something that is poured over you. He is generous with the joy that he bestows on us by granting it to us. He gives, the Bible tells us, more joy than anything that would threaten us. For his joy is a joy that overcomes. Get that? Overcomes in your life. So whatever threatens you, the joy of Jesus is not threatened by it because the, uh, the way in which he doles it out, his generosity will always overcome whatever threatens to steal it. And he is so generous that he gives more joy than your heart can even contain. So not only does he give enough joy to overcome whatever threatens you, he gives enough joy to overcome whatever you think your heart can hold from him. So here's my challenge to you. You just keep taking. You just keep taking joy in him and see if his supply runs out. It will not. You can take as much joy as you can handle because Jesus never runs out. But here's the key, friends. Here's the key. You must take joy in Jesus. That must be an intentional choice to abide in him, to take from him what he freely offers you instead of just letting everything else get put on you. That's what he's desiring for us to understand. And friends, I'll be honest with you, in life, joy is not a cakewalk. It's not a cakewalk. It wasn't for Jesus and it won't be for you and I either. You will likely have to fight for joy in your life. And the fight may physically and mentally and emotionally and every other alley for you exhaust and deplete you. But it will fill you with a joy over your life. Do you see that? That what Jesus gives to us when we walk in faithfulness to him and oneness with he and the Father and one another, he provides for us not only all that we desire, but all that is demanded from our life to overcome that which threatens us and to overflow from that which is held within us. Joy sourced in Jesus is the very power that, and motivation that led him to endure the cross and it is his joy in his followers that strengthens us to endure in faithfulness. Jesus wants you to know this, Christian. True salvation brings faithfulness and oneness, joy and enduring strength. Thirdly, Jesus desires for you to know true salvation brings sanctification of life by truth. Friends, don't look for an escape hatch because what did Jesus say? I'm not taking them out of the world. I'm leaving the world. I'm leaving them in it. But their remaining in it in no way threatens what we give to them and puts on them. Jesus prays that every disciple will be set apart in this way for God, by God, in God's word. For God, by God, 
to remain in God's word. You must understand what Jesus prays for your life, Christian. He is not asking that the Father would improve your quality of life or raise your standard of living. That is a false gospel. That is a false hope. It's a false ideology. It is a false theology. And in every way, it is a lie that deceives and damns the soul. Jesus prays for your new identity. In other words, who you understand your life to be in his name, to be the defining reality for your life. When you think of who you are, you wouldn't just think of all the things that you do, but you would think of the one thing that he has done for you to be the guiding reality for your life. You must understand what he is praying here, friends, for Jesus prays for that new identity that, that, that we bear his name as a Christian, as a Christian, to be the defining reality for all of our life. You see, God's change in a believer's life is not just incremental improvement, right? Three steps forward, four back. It's not just incremental improvement, it's kingdom transfer, Colossians says that he rescues us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. It's not just incremental improvement. It's nature and being transformation of a whole other kind. He brings to life that which was dead without him. And God's sanctifying work in the believer's life moves everything under Jesus' eternal rule and reign as king. You see, all of a Christian's life that is for God, by God, and in God's word, it is either all of our life or it is not eternal life at all. Jesus is not an accessory. He's not bling. He's not a better app to improve efficiency. He's Lord. And might I just say to us, if Jesus fits your box, it may be comfortable and convenient, but it is not salvation. For God's word either washes over your life to saturate you completely and thoroughly and to transform you, or like water washing over anything, it hardens you to him. Listen to this statement, friends. Christian, you are sanctified in truth, set apart for God, by God, in his word. When all of life, your walk, your talk, your stewardship, your relationships, your attitudes, your emotions, your thinking, your affections, your will, when all of life aligns in obedience under Jesus' lordship because your convictions are anchored in God's word and they shift everything to serve his purposes and for his glory. This is sanctification. This is sanctification. And this is what Jesus prays for you. You say, well, how does that happen? By faith. By faith. Jesus wants you to know, friends, that true salvation brings sanctification of life in his truth. 
Let me ask you this. If Jesus doesn't produce real change for you, how will he ever be real hope to share with someone else? His fourth desire for you to know is this, that true salvation brings faithful gospel proclamation. Friends, we shouldn't miss Jesus' conclusion by which he makes a prayerful application here for us. Others, the final third of his prayer, will receive eternal life because his disciples share the gospel of his name. You and I are sitting here today as the fruit of his prayer as God's answer to the son's prayer because his prayer was for the disciples who were with him in that day that the work that they might do would produce continuing disciples as he would later commission them to do. And if you look at it, we're in the direct line of dissension from that. We are here today because of faithfulness and fruitfulness to Jesus' prayer. Christians share the gospel so others can hear and believe in Jesus. You see, God clothed his living word with flesh in Jesus. Good news that is absent of words shared is not gospel. Acts of service which are vital to gospel ministry never replace the words of gospel sharing. God revealed himself, he saved, and he sanctifies by his word. And when the Christian's faithful witness is lived out, it gives hope because the life we live is illustrated, uh, or is illustrating rather, the words that we speak. You see, faithful witness, which is the sharing of words, the proclamation of words from our life, is a Christ follower's principal mandate as the first expression of our new identity. He says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, just before he ascends into heaven, you shall receive the Holy Spirit, and when he comes upon you, you will be my doers? Uh -uh. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. You'll be my what? My witnesses. My witnesses. Witnesses have a word. Jesus wants you to know that true salvation brings faithful gospel proclamation. And fifth, Jesus desires for you to know true salvation brings divine reconciliation, communion, and commission. Jesus now prays for all who will believe because of, his faith, of the disciples' faithful witness. God's plan of salvation, friends, remains today as it has always been. When we believe in Jesus, we are reconciled to God for communion with him and a commissioning from him. Jesus says, you sent me, I send them. In the same way. You see, all that is true of the first disciples remains true for every disciple. For the presence of God, the glory we experience, the unity that we enjoy, and the commissioning from him all remain the same. Christians today serve God's redeeming mission in the world just as the disciples in that day through Jesus Christ. Jesus commission for us to carry forth the mission in this world by his word and by his spirit remains for us today the world that didn't know Jesus in that day lives all around us today and though the world doesn't know God we know God through Jesus 
And we continue to make God's name known, his work in us for that end. God brought his word and gave flesh to clothe it in. And when we give our lives to him, when we surrender to him in faith to receive his salvation, he takes our flesh and he puts his word in it. Therefore, we live to tell that God wants a personal relationship with every person through Jesus Christ. For the name through which every Christian knows God is the name for which each Christian remains in the world today. Jesus wants you to know, Christian, that true salvation brings reconciliation, communion with God, and commission from God. Jesus prays for Christ followers to live in God's true salvation of life for the glory of his name in the world. Now I want to wrap up in this way this morning. These are five desires that Jesus prays for every believer and for all to believe. I want to conclude with this. What's your desire? What's your desire this morning? You see, today's question is not really what would Jesus pray for me But today's question is actually two other questions in response to this sermon. It's this. First of all, ask yourself, is Jesus' prayer about me? Is Jesus' prayer about me? Have I believed in Jesus? Have I repented of my sins and put my trust in him alone to receive God's eternal life and to live as a follower of him? Is this prayer about you? Is it for you? Because you've repented of your sins and put your trust in Jesus. If not, today I want to invite you to do that because I want you to know that's Jesus' prevailing desire for you. He has one prayer for you if you're not a believer today. It's that you would repent of your sin and put your trust in him and become a Christian. Will you do that today? The second question is this. Ask yourself if you are a Christian Is my life fully submitted under the lordship of Jesus Christ? Just as Jesus had a tunnel vision focus on the cross, are you tunnel vision focused to obey all of Jesus and that he prayed for you? If your commitment to what Jesus prayed for you, friends, is less than his prayer for it, then I want to invite you today to also repent, to believe in him, and to repent of lukewarm, half-hearted, convenient Christianity, and begin to follow Jesus by faith with the same kind of tunnel vision all of your life today. This is what Jesus prays for you. And just so we're clear, just so we are certain, just so we are sure, Jesus didn't mention your sin at all because he took care of all of it for you. Consider that when you consider your desire for him today. Let's pray.